We're going to be in Philippians chapter uh, 4. We'll be picking it up in about verse, uh, verse 2 here. And so I think this is going to be a- absolutely um, critical uh, today as we have so many different issues that are going on in our world. Um, in fact, one dominant issue, which is immigration and um, the practice of removing kids from their families uh, at, the, uh, at the border. Uh, horrific, horrific practice um, and uh, against uh, the scriptures in spite of what the attorney general has to say. Uh, but uh, I know that there's some of you that, that may think differently here, and that's okay. Um, and I, I'm not here to try to convince you of a political viewpoint in any way, but uh, perhaps you just got angry or happy. Uh, and so now you know. <clears throat> now you know why this is an issue, why this is a deal. Um, you know, I was just talking with someone in the back, and they said, man, there's a lot of battles going on online right now. And I would say that's, that's absolutely true. Uh, other issues uh, like racial diversity, um, especially in the local church. Uh, the local church uh, has thrived in white middle-class America. It has not thrived in urban areas, as we've said. And, and in large part, that's been due uh, to uh, th- this idea of racial, racial reconciliation. Uh, helping us understand, you know, here in uh, Salem, which I believe, uh, I, I'm not sure that we're more than 2% uh, black um, and uh, a little bit higher for uh, Hispanic, quite a bit higher, I believe, actually, Hispanics. But, um, but for uh, African Americans, it's 2% in Salem. And so we don't really think about those things uh, very much. But in other parts of the country where there is a much higher uh, percentage of African American people, you still have white churches and then you have black churches. And just newsflash for us all if we believe in Jesus Christ as the only Son of God, the one who came to save us, and we trust in Him wholeheartedly with our lives, then the truth is, is that white folk and black folk are going to be in the same place. We're going to be in the same place, worshiping and glorifying God together. Shouldn't we be doing that now? Shouldn't that be taking place? And so uh, that's, that's a big deal. But then again, you've got this, um, you know, this guy who's high up in one organization criticizing another Christian organization saying, I'm done with that organization. And so you're talking about Christian people in public yelling at one another. And and it's it's absolutely mind-boggling that we would put these things out publicly and decide to fight about those things. Um, And not just that. I mean, that's in the public sphere, but then we've got the private sphere. What about we as believers and the disagreements that we get into in our local churches, the fights that happen in our local churches over various things, over this leader, over that leader, over, um, you know, what, you know, how we're going to pay for this or what we're going to, what direction we're going to go. I mean, there's, there's churches that have fights. There's personal disagreements between us and perhaps another friend. And then we share those disagreements with other people that we're hanging out with that may not even be believers, which would be horrific as well. And then you look at our marriages and our marriages oftentimes are, are just as depleted and as dry and sexless and relationless as the rest of the world in, in so many ways. And so we have broken marriages where we're consistently fighting. 
And this is not a new problem, though. And this, that's why the Apostle Paul says here, let me read the passage to you. It's going to be short. He says, I entreat. And entreat means to plead with. I beg of you. I'm asking you, please, Yodia, that's the name of a, it's not Yoda, Yodia, uh, Yodia, uh, and I entreat, I plead with Syntyche. So two women, that's, these are female names. And so I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Hey, just hold on for just a second. Like, uh, if you get called out in Scripture for your argument, that's a pretty bad argument, right? I mean, like, you just got busted, called out for all of time from, for, for the rest of eternity. <laughs> the word of the Lord stands forever. Oh, crap. That's, that's me and my argument with this woman. Uh, maybe they listened up at this point. He says, yes, I ask you also, true companion. We don't know who the true companion is. No one knows. People talked about it, but he's speaking to someone, perhaps the person that's taking the letter. Nobody knows. Don't worry about it. He says, yes, I, I ask you also, true companion, help these women. Help them. And it's not just about women, by the way. It could be help these men, too, uh, who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Look at what he's saying here. He's talking to them, and he's saying, I want you to get along. So here's what we know. We know that there's two gals that are in this local church. The Apostle Paul has been writing this letter, and uh, he finally brings out uh, kind of what he's been getting at uh, a little bit. Throughout the letter, we see some other instances of, say, hey, you guys should get along, that kind of stuff. But these are, they're not just any women. These are two key leaders. These are key leaders in the local church. Here's a side note here real quick. Women should be key leaders in our local churches. And so uh, we have been for some time now looking to invite women into uh, the process of utilizing their gifts the way that God has intended and trying to find ways to engage them better as they get involved. And we're so uh, pleased about how part of that is working right now. But these are two key women leaders. It has gotten bad. It has gotten really bad. And it's gotten so bad that really so much of this letter is about unity. And so Paul is saying, this has gone on long enough. It's happened long enough. And so he says, I want some help from some other leaders. And so he's saying to someone else that is perhaps also a leading elder or something like that and says, hey, would you please help them work this out? He says, these gals have labored side by side with me in the gospel. They have been alongside of him for some time. They've been working with him over and over again. He, he then goes on to say, he says, their names are in the book of life. Like Paul says, and this is one of the few instances that you see where, where Paul says like, dude, I know that those gals are saved. I know it. Like, I, they, they've been in the trenches with me. They've been preaching the gospel. I've seen their lives change. I mean, it, it's pretty astounding that he even says that, but he says, their names are in the book of life. They are good people. They're in ministry. They know the word. They know the truth. 
And yet, what's going on is that these two gals are in the middle of a battle. They're in the middle of a fight. They, they're good people, like really good people, and yet they're fighting. Yeah, they're fighting. And so if it can happen in Paul's church in Philippi, it can and does happen here. I don't even know, you know, of arguments or disputes right now, really. But I would just say it's happening here. It's human nature. It's human nature to be in a battle on a continual basis. It's, it's human nature to continually go about those things and to, to constantly be in fights. Here's a couple of things that I want you to know, though. First, this is not a moral issue. It's not a moral issue. If it was a moral issue, we might look at 1 Corinthians 5, which we talked about when we were preaching through 1 Corinthians 5. It's not a moral issue. And by moral issue, I mean it is not about anything that Scripture prohibits. And Syntyche's like, hey, I'm pro this. And, and Yodia is, is like, no, I'm anti. It's not a moral issue. So what we do know is this, is that uh, there is no agreement in the Lord where moral issues are at hand. I cannot find agreement with someone where there is a moral issue. Like, it, like there's a moral issue in your life. You should uh, not be sleeping with other women who aren't your wife. You know, that kind of a thing. And yet they don't receive it. Well, I can live peaceably in some sense, but there's still going to be an issue. Because as a Christian brother, I am called to come alongside of another brother and say, hey, man, this is not right. So we're not talking about moral issues here. We're not talking about moral issues that are even in the public sphere today. Uh, there are moral issues that uh, I would say this. Democrats are right on. They're correct on some things. And there are moral issues that Republicans are right on. Now, both of those political parties, and I realize there's others here. If I left you libertarians out, whatever you believe, I don't know. But uh, uh, <laughs> people keep explaining it to me, and I keep going, yeah, whatever. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so, I'm free. Okay, good. Uh, in any case, there, there, there are, and if you want to go the way of Jesus, then just understand this, that your political party and my political party is, is, is it's just garbage. It's garbage. We want, to be on, we want to be on Jesus' side. It's not that Jesus' side is Republican or Jesus' side is d Democrat. That's not what it is. It's, it's, it's Jesus and everyone else. It's Jesus and every other political party. And so what we want to do as a church and as God's people is we want to clearly see that we sit under the authority of Jesus himself as Lord he is Lord over me. He's the ruler. He is reigning. He is my king. And we sit under him through his word and through the power of the Holy Spirit, through what God brings to us, and we obey. We obey our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We do not obey our political party. We do not have fights about political things. We do stand up for moral issues. We do. We do it lovingly. We do it peaceably. We are not yelling. We are not screaming. We're not condemning. We're not any of those things. We are people of peace because we serve a God of peace, right? That's good news. That's good news. Uh, so it's not a moral issue. And I also, 
and abuse is a moral issue as well. I just want to make this really clear that let's just say there's a marriage and there's abuse going on in that marriage, either you know, from the guy or from the gal. We're not talking about abuse right here. Like, oh, you guys should just work it out and get along. You know, who cares if he slaps you around? That is not what we're saying at all. Like, if there's abuse in any way, we would say immediately, like, if it's illegal activity, let's go to the police right now. I'll take you. I'll take you. Let's, let's, go, let's go do that. We're not talking about abuse, okay? We just want to make that really clear. So what is their problem? Their problem is that they are not agreeing in the Lord. Is that clear to anybody? <laughs> they're, they're not agreeing in the Lord. Oh, I just should agree in the Lord. What, what does that mean? Well, we'll get to that in a second. They're not agreeing in the Lord, and as a result, it's continually, it's just ramping up. It's getting worse. It's getting ru- worse uh, as a result. And so what's, what's our problem? Our problem is as well that we are not agreeing in the Lord. But let's really look at what the problem is. So I wrote this statement down. We often do not know how to resolve conflicts and end up living in discord or disunity with one another and as a result impugn the gospel. We don't know how to resolve conflicts personally with a friend that, that, that we know or somebody who they might be an enemy, somebody of another political party that's in our church. That kind of thing. We don't know how to resolve that conflict because we're not agreeing in the Lord. We have ongoing marital issues because we don't know how to agree in the Lord. We don't know how to get along in the Lord. We have these political fights. There's, as I said, the racial reconciliation, all of these things. And it's because of this. In Titus chapter 3, verse 3. It it talks about us before Jesus, us before Christ. It says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. And if you think that's too strong, just get on Facebook for an hour, right? If you think that's too strong, you're uninformed. You're uninformed, and you don't know your own heart. You, you and I don't know our, our own heart, and we, we have not looked at culture in ourselves with clarity. And clarity comes when we begin to speak the truth about what is and what isn't. When we begin to see God's truth being brought forth into our lives. See, there's people who say, uh, uh, you know, uh, how dare you treat illegal immigrants like this? You, you idiot. How, why would you ever do that? You know, screaming, yelling. Well, guess what? You're defending something that God defends while using a, a, a satanic backlash against that person, right? So it's, it's like out of, out of our mouths comes blessing and cursing at the same time. So we're disobedient. We're led astray. We're slaves to various passions and pleasures. We have to believe that. We have to see that. We have to understand that. There's so many people who uh, at times say, you know what, a sermon should be encouraging, We should tell people, you know, you're doing okay, you're going to be fine, whatever. I would like to encourage you, 
and I think I should do more of that. However, one of the things that we need is not more self-encouragement. We need to have right understanding so that we can have the encouragement of God. When you don't have right encouragement, if you're telling yourself, you know, I'm all right, I'm okay, I'm, I, I'm cool, I'm, I'm fine, I've got the best political party. I got, when you build yourself up like that, you're not waiting for the king to build you up. You're building yourself up. And so, therefore, you're not dependent on God for all of your needs. You're dependent on self for your needs. And so, encouragement should come in Christ, not in self. And so, this is what happens a lot. We're foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice. I, I just... I, I could almost explode because when you look at the world and you see what's going on, the malice... The hatred, hating one another. I mean, it is crazy. Did you know that conservative talk radio leads you to a point of hating the other side? Did you know that? Listen for a while. I'm not saying it's the devil. I'm just saying you need to understand that's worldly. Oh, he claims to be a Christian. Yeah. Okay. That's fine. He's still acting like a human being who's sinful. That's pulling you away. Did you know that liberal talk radio is training you for ungodliness? It is training you for hatred of the other side. It is continually building you up and, and telling you that you're right in and of yourself. Instead of looking to the way of Jesus, you're looking to the way of me. You're looking to the way of the world. Instead of living in the kingdom of God as though his kingdom has come. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Like, I want to live in the kingdom of God. I want to live as a citizen of the king, not a citizen of Salem, Oregon, or of the United States of America, as great as those things are. This world is training us to hate one another. And when you and I refuse to get along, when you refuse to resolve a conflict with someone else, when you have ongoing marital issues, you are simply stating this, that I desire to live in the kingdom of man and not in the kingdom of God. Jesus is not my king. I am my king. And it's not good. It is not good. That's what happens when we do that. And guess what? Whew, I'm right there with you. I'm right there with you. I have to remind myself. This passage goes on to say in Titus, like, you know, uh, you know, always being kind kind of a deal. You know, I went to a store yesterday, and they charged me double. I didn't realize it. Uh, so, and it was a lot. It was like $200. I got home. My wife says, how much was it? And I said, it was $200. And she said, that should not have been $200. And I was like, you know what? That's really true. And I look at the receipt, and sure enough, they've charged me $87 twice. And I was so irritated. And yet I, I, I called there, and I wasn't perfectly kind. I was a little, I, I know I got that edge to me. I, you know, have a nice day. Thank you. Bye. That's, that's me. That's, 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 that, that was me. Uh, I'm, I'm there with you. That's, that's what I'm saying there. So uh, key question is this. How can we live in unity when we have such diverse backgrounds, political views, and personalities? How do we live in unity in this church, in Outward Church? I'm talking to us. Uh, how can we live in unity 
in our marriages where you got two people that are so different from one another. Like, it's crazy. Like, who are you? Uh, that kind of never said that about my own wife. But um, so he says, I entreat, I plead with you, I beg of you. Why is he saying that? Well, because he has said a few things so far, which I've totally forgotten where I put them. Oh, there they are. Look at what he says in Philippians 1.27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Everything that you do, all of life is covered by the gospel of Christ. So everything is a gospel interaction. My phone call with the store yesterday was a gospel interaction. My dealings with my, my wife and my family and stuff is a gospel interaction. So he says, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. He's saying, I want you guys to be on the same track. I want you to be thinking the same. I want you to have the same spirit. I want you to be side by side for the faith of the gospel, not for your political party, not for your opinions, your views, your whatever, um, not that. Look at Philippians 2, verse 2 through 4. He says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do you think he wants them to get along? He does. Uh, let me keep going there. Uh, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look, look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Republican. Don't just look to your interests. Look to the interests of the Democrats and Democrats. Don't just look to your interests. Look to the interests of the Republicans. That's what it says. Yeah. White middle-class Americans. Don't just look to your interests, but look to the interests of the immigrant who wants to keep their children alive, the illegal immigrant. That's, that's real. That's true. That's what it's saying there. He says uh, in Philippians 2.14, do all things without grumbling or disputing. My point is this. Paul's letter has been littered with, get along already. It's like me walking into my kids. My kids came into my office this morning, got in a little fight. I'm like, seriously, right now? Like, what in the world? It's, it's, it's continual. It's regular. It's, it's all the time that we're constantly battling. And Paul is saying, I want you to get along. I want you to get along, he says to them. And so he communicates to them that he wants to entreat them. He says, I plead with you. I beg of you, based on everything that I've already said, he says, I want you to agree in the Lord. And what we can take from this is this. Disunity in the church displays a dysfunctional gospel. Our disunity in this, in this group of people and the people that didn't show up because it was a nice day and they're sinners, but uh, all of those people... Uh, uh, need to understand this, that disunity in the church displays a dysfunctional gospel. You're not, you're not pro, 
sharing the gospel. You're anti. It's like you're working against us. Like, I mean, with friends like you, who needs enemies, really? I mean, seriously, like, when we get in fights and when we show that to our world, and it's not just, well, if you don't show it, then it's fine. No, that's just called being passive-aggressive. But uh, what we need to know is that it shows that we don't believe what we teach. We have to be convinced that an ongoing argument among Christian people depreciates the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And not only that, it is an assault on the work of Christ. It tells our community, it shows our community, and the people that hear about the argument that we do not practice what we preach. That's what it says. I entreat you, I plead with you to hear me in this. Disunity in the church displays a dysfunctional gospel. Is that what you're trying to communicate? And if you don't care, let's talk about what it looks like to walk with Jesus. Let's talk about that. We must see disunity as defamation of the gospel. So what's the goal? What's the goal? The goal is this, to agree in the Lord. To agree in him. So what, is that, what does that mean? Well, first of all, it, here's what it does not mean. It does not mean to agree to disagree. It does not mean that you join a community group with people that are aligned with you in your political party. That's not what that means. That is not gospel community. That's worldly community that the church imports. That's worldly community. It does not mean that we just agree to disagree, and so we have this, this, this barrier between us. Like, I'm offended with this person because of the way that they said this, and I'm just going to harbor that, and if you think you're never going to explode, that's probably not going to happen. It might not, but it's, it's most likely going to happen. You're going to explode. You're going you're gonna to let off. You're going to blow off some steam. You're, you're going to get there. So when you agree to disagree and you're in close community, that is a problem. That's just saying I'm content with disunity. And my plea to you this morning is to do not be content with disunity with your brothers and sisters in Christ. And really anybody else in the world, but especially your brothers and sisters in Christ. Do not be content with disunity within the church. It doesn't mean that we're looking to agree on political parties, on uh, ways of action as far as how we think uh, should happen, whether we agree with the president, whether we don't agree with him. That's not what we're asking. By the way, we have all types in this room. We have all types. We've got people that love the president. We've got people that hate the president. Um, all of us need to remember that regardless of whether we love or hate, no matter what president it is, because our previous president was in the opposite direction, uh, we are always called to pray for our political leaders. So we should pray that they do make good decisions, that they do make God-honoring decisions if we disagree with them and so forth. So the key to disagreements is to first agree in the Lord. How does that happen? Well, the basis of all Christian relationship begins with the gospel. It always begins with the gospel. That's what I uh, have been communicating thus far. So what, is that, what does that need to look like? Well, the, the first thing is this. We have to embrace the practice of humility like Jesus did. We, we must embrace the practice of humility 
just like Jesus did in his life. If you look back at uh, Philippians chapter 2, which says, let each, let each of you, uh, or I'm sorry, verse 5, have, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Look at what he says, like humility. Humility has to come out. Look at the life of Christ and say, all right, all political parties, my marital battles, my friendship battles with other people, all of that aside for, for a second, like the humility of Christ, that though he was these things, he is God in the flesh, he becomes nothing. He remained God, but he takes on the form of a servant. Look at the amount of humility that he has. In the Lord means that we are people who are going to embrace the practice of humility like Jesus does. We're continually looking at the life of Jesus and we're saying, okay, I need to take that on. I need to implant that in my life. If the gospel is true, then that means that I'm saved by grace. I did nothing to earn it. I did nothing to deserve it. I am somebody who's walking around hating other people and being hated by them with malicious talk and gossip on my mind and all of these things. You might say, I'm a pretty nice person. No, you're really not. I mean, if we really dug into it, like if we really talked about that, all of us must get to the humility of Jesus Christ and practice that. Humble thoughts. It's not just like I need to take on humility. It begins with humble thoughts. It's dwelling on the life of Jesus Christ, and especially out of that passage out of Philippians 2, but it's reading about Jesus. It's getting the life of Jesus into you. It's not just coming and hearing about Jesus on Sunday, but it's getting the life of Jesus Christ into your life and beginning to have humble thoughts. You've got to start thinking humbly. Why is that important? Well, with every argument, there's, there's the public argument, and then there's the argument that I win in my mind, right? There's the arguments that we have with the person that we're having a conversation with. And it, it's, it's, like, it's like the redo of the original argument. And the redo, I always win. I always win that argument because I know that I'm right in my mind. There's no one to rebut me. It's just me. I am king. I am ruler. I say what goes, and so in that argument, I win. How does that work when I go back to have another discussion with my wife? As I've been talking myself up and talking myself up and talking myself up, talking myself up, and then I go in to have a conversation. When I go in and I've talked myself up that much, guess what? I'm a punk. I'm a punk. Because I'm not, I haven't been thinking humbly. I haven't been thinking in that way. Listen, you train your mind for the things that you do. You're training yourself for those things. I've been talking a lot about baseball lately because uh, we just had this incredible season. I told you about it last week with, uh, with uh, Marshall. But one of the things that I think baseball is teaching um, my oldest son is this, is just how he thinks. So we were talking towards the end of the season of like, hey, I, I I realize that when you're in the game, like this guy looks like he pitches really fast, but you've got to be able to tell yourself, you've got to have self-talk that says, God has created me so that I can do this. 
I'm, I can be a part of this. And so we were talking about self-talk. You, you've, you've got to talk to yourself and talk about how you're going to do this. And so preparing your mind for action, ensuring that you're, when you get into that situation, you've already had the thoughts there so that your body can follow through with that. That's what humble thoughts will do for you. Jesus didn't consider himself. You must also not consider yourself as equal to God. You must consider yourself humbly. You must put yourself under authority, which I'll get to in, in just a few minutes. A humble demeanor uh, like Jesus. So it's, it's, you've got to start with humility, and then, and then you continue with humility in your thoughts, and then you continue with humility in your demeanor. The way that you act, the way that you, uh, you know, hang out, the way that you uh, talk with your, your spouse, with your friend, with someone of uh, another political party. Because this is what happens. This is especially what happened early on in, in our marriage is that voices would, would go up. And, I would, and I'll take full responsibility for that. I'm a man. I, I, I don't know why. I, I thought I was on a job site or something. And, like, there's a jackhammer behind me. And so I'm like, ah, you know, talking. And my wife was like, oh. You know, that, that kind of thing. And so she wasn't exactly like that. Sorry, babe. Uh, but um, what I learned was this, is that when things get intense, my voice can't just be a regular, like, speaking voice. It a actually has to drop down. As things get more intense, I have to lower my intensity. As the argument continues, I have until... I'm, we're in a place where in order not to offend my wife further than I already have, I have to lower my voice. I need to talk quieter and quieter and quieter. And so I have to get down to this place where it may almost just be a whisper where I'm, I'm trying to talk quietly and humbly because I've been thinking that way. I've been trying to think that way. I'm, and, and the humility also comes when she confronts me with something that I've done wrong. I have to be able to, to receive that. So it's, and then the other thing is, is humbly taking responsibility. Taking responsibility for what we've done wrong. So here I am. I, I want to be the true companion that Paul is talking about. So perhaps you have a fight or an argument that's going on in your life. You're, you, you haven't been able to work it out. Perhaps you're somebody who is of a political view, and there's somebody in your community group, and this is bound to happen multiple times, and it just frustrates you that this person brings out their political view, and it's, it's, it's uh, irritating or you know, whatever the case may be. Th think about these things as you're, as you're walking through this, and then humbly take responsibility like Jesus. Let me explain that. Jesus had no sin of his own to take on. He takes on our sin even though he wasn't responsible for it. Jesus takes on my sin, and he takes it to the cross, and he is crucified for it. So he, he takes what is not his own. And sometimes in our uh, relationships, we've got to own things that we don't think that we own. And when I tell people this, oftentimes they say, but I didn't do that, and I didn't, what have you, and oftentimes I'm speaking to men, and I say, it doesn't matter what you think you did, it matters what your wife thinks you did. Perception is reality. If your wife thinks that you're a jerk, you're a jerk. It's just the way that it is. That's the way that that, that whole thing works. Well, I didn't do, nope. 
You take responsibility even though your body, your mind says, you know, uh, you shouldn't have to take that. You know, you, you need to understand that we have a Titus 3-3 mind that says hating others and being, and, and, and being hated by others. And malice, that is, that is who the core of who I am is. That's, that's who I am. And so as a result, I've got to receive things that I'm not even sure are entirely true. However, what I do know is this, and I keep referring to my marriage relationship, I know that I love my wife so much <coughs> that I don't want her to feel like I did do the thing that she says I did and I didn't think I did. I don't want her to feel that way. And so the way that I apologize is by taking responsibility even though I didn't intend it that way, I take responsibility for the fact that I caused my wife to feel that way. And by the way, that's a good way to talk about it, right? Uh, if, if <laughs> uh, when you apologize and you take responsibility, this is how it normally comes out the first time. I'm sorry that you feel like that. Anybody <laughs> get arguments like that lately with their, their wife and they said that? I'm sorry that you feel, I'm sorry that, you, that you're, feelings got hurt. That's saying, I'm sorry that you're an emotional mess or, or, or something like that. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry that this is all your fault, right? <laughs> like, like, how well does that go over? <laughs> it doesn't go over well. It's, it's ridiculous. I, every time, almost every time without fail, sitting down with, with two people like, uh, and I say, okay, uh, he or she said this, could you respond to this? I'm sorry that you got your feelings hurt. Ah, okay, let's uh, recalibrate here. Do you love your spouse? I do love my spouse. Uh, do you want her to feel that way? No, no. Okay, so let's redial this, and we, we just have to work out communication. Some of this stuff is so practical, it's just like, I just need to learn how to talk right, because I'm a Neanderthal. Like, I just have no idea how to talk sometimes, and sometimes I just need that help. So taking responsibility uh, with your words, uh, even though we may not feel responsible for the things that we've done. I'm not saying that you should flat out lie. I do believe that there are times that you should be able to say, listen, I, I understand that this, is, that, that this is how you're feeling. I don't believe that that's what took place here. Now, Let's just say you get to an impasse, which is very likely, okay? Not just in your marriage, but in your relationships. Like, there's, there, there's bound to be a, a, a relationship in this room that gets broken, and people can't figure it out. We don't know how to deal with it. We don't know how to walk through that. So Paul says, help these women. Help these women. So first of all, first of all, uh, first of all we want to agree in the Lord and when we can't get to a point where we can agree in the Lord, like just through maturity and understanding the word and coming to one another and just saying, I need to be more humble in this relationship. I'm sorry that I said those things. I should not have acted that way. I impugned your, your, the, your political party that you're a part of, or I you know, said this. I assumed something about you. If we can't do that, we need to get somebody else involved. And so Paul says, you need a mediator. You need somebody who's going to help you work through these things. Now, too many marriages are suffering. I'll bet you there are multiple marriages in this room, and you guys should have talked to someone else a year ago or years ago. 
And let me just tell you, every year that you go on with brokenness in your marriage, and you don't bring somebody in, in, in to, to help you work those things out. By the way, somebody who's not a family member, uh, a parent, oftentimes is not super helpful of, of one of you. We'll get to that in just a second. But if you don't bring someone in, you're burying landmines in your marriage. If you have an ongoing fight with someone in the church and you continually have this fight and it keeps going and it keeps going and it keeps going and you never bring a mediator in, like nobody knows about it or nobody steps in automatically. If you don't do that, you're burying landmines that are going to blow up your relationship with this person. You're burying landmines for the future. And so what we must do is look for a third party. We've got to look for somebody else. My wife and I have gone to a third party before. The uh, gentleman who uh, performed our, our, our wedding, um, Mike Zanin, he was on our um, uh, advisory team for some time. That was the precursor to our, our, our elders. Uh, Mike Zanin was, was amazing, him and his, his wife. And we brought them into our marriage. My, my wife has some stuff to say about this as well. Uh, but it was It was incredible to hear them speak to us. But what this also assumes is that you are willing to be under authority. In Ephesians, the Apostle Paul says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It doesn't mean that everyone that you know in the church you should submit to, but it means on some level there should be some level of submission with other people. Are you in submission to other people? And so you should submit to someone, you should bring them into your life, and you should say, hey, you tell us who's right and who's wrong. Hey, you speak into our issues in our marriage. Hey, you talk to us. You tell me, am I wrong or am I right? And then when they tell you, you're wrong, you should apologize, you should walk this out in this way or that way, then you need to hear them. You need to listen. You need to allow them to be an authority in your life. There's too many of us in this room that say, you know, I got problems, but I ain't going to listen to anybody. And it's, it's, it's just going to allow it to go on and on. For those people that are helping to mediate in a relationship, we can come alongside of people. And we, can, we can help them get along. Here's some things for you. First of all is this. Don't join a side. Don't join one side or the other. A, a good example of this is the political discussion. There's somebody who, uh, there, there's, two, there's two people, a liberal and a conservative, and they're in a battle. And so they say, hey, would you come and mediate for us? And then what ends up happening is that now you've got two liberals or two conservatives trying to convert the other person to their political party. That's ridiculous. That, that's, that's not helpful. Don't join a side in a marriage. Don't join a side in an argument. Come in as a neutral third party. What you also need to understand is this, is that sometimes there's nobody who's right. There's not one side that's right or one side that's, uh, that's wrong necessarily. Oftentimes, both people have something. you got to be mindful that in order to resolve a problem or dispute, there does not necessarily need to be someone who's right and someone who's wrong. Typically, both people have done something. Be aware of this, that unresolvable conflicts almost always point to a deep-seated pride. It's a deep-seated pride. When you go to them and you say, and you say hey, uh, you, perhaps you go to one of them privately and you say, hey, this issue happened. And they say, yeah, but I wouldn't have done that if she hadn't of whatever. 
But guess what? You're, you're, you're stuck at a dead end. It's not even a cul-de-sac. It's one of those ones that you got to go, eh, 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 eh. It, it takes a while to get out of, right? It's, it's, it, it's, it's called, it's being a punk. It's saying, I don't care about resolving this conflict. All I care about is being right. But when you put someone in authority over you and you say, hey, would you uh, speak into my life? And then when they speak to you, you just have pride. And you say, but I never would have done that if they hadn't. See, what happens is, is that neither side sees that they have sinned. Neither side admits guilt. Neither side receives the idea that they are wrong in some way. They, they don't receive it. That is not gospel replication. Gospel replication is something else. Work to point the opposing parties toward the gospel. It's got to begin with that. When you end up in this point where you've reached an, an impasse, whether you're trying to work it out with your friend or whether someone's coming as a third party, you've got to point to the gospel in every situation. If, if it's in a marriage, it's ultimately helping them see that, guys, you are too Die for your wife. You must lay your wife down. And I tell guys this all the time. The hell that you're living in right now is the hell that you've created. You've led the marriage here. You're the leader in your home. You've led it here most of the time. I've seen it happen a couple of times where there just was an ungodly wife who wanted to do whatever she wants. But more often than not, when there's problems in the marriage, it's because the husband has not led them out of that. Or it just means that he needs to begin leading them out of that. It doesn't mean that the wife doesn't have a role here. It definitely does. I'm just saying that guys must initiate in this. So we've got to work to uh, point the opposing parties towards the gospel. Looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, which says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. In every situation, we must look at that and we must say, all right, the grace of uh, our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, he became poor for my sake. And so what that means in my relationship is that I must become poor for my spouse. Or I must become poor for the person that I'm in a, a battle with. Or I must become poor in order to make them rich, bring them rich, rich relationship. Lead the two parties towards confession and repentance. <clears throat> if you do not allow yourself to see that you must be brought to confession and repentance... You're not going to make it out of this. And so what that looks like is this, is that, yeah, there's one person in this relationship that caused an initial battle, but the other person is exploding at them. They're yelling at them. They're, they're, they're getting angry. They're, they're, they're being malicious, all of those things. And so what we have to do is, is that we can't just say, well, well, he or she wouldn't have done that had you not done this. We must say to both parties, what have you done to continue this issue? 
And so what I often do is I meet with them privately and I say, let's put everything that he or she has done behind us for a moment. And let's you and I just talk about what you need to take responsibility for. What do you need to take responsibility for in your relationship? Well, she did this thing. She overspent or she or he overspent or something like that. And so I got angry and so I yelled at him or her or that kind of thing. Well, confession and repentance begins right now. You've got to model that, guys, especially when it begins with this. Like, I did this. I decided that I was so angry that I, I needed to explode at you. It was wrong, and I'm sorry. Be careful not to just add, will you forgive me? Because that means, hey, could you just get over it real quick? Would you mind just getting over it? Yeah, yeah, that'd be, that'd be really great for me. It'd make me feel better. But to talk about that, talk about the confession, and talk about that repentance, that kind of thing. Lead the two parties towards confession and repentance. Ask, what have you done to contribute to this problem? And then lastly is this. In any relationship, there is some level of wrath absorption. Tim Keller has this great example that I'm, I might butcher, but what he says is this, is that when somebody wrongs you, let's say they flip you off in, in the street or something like that, you're driving, someone gives you the finger or something like that, what's the immediate response? You flip them off back, right? You basically say, it's tit for tat. It's, it's like, you know, it's, you know I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get you back for this. In the older movies, he used to say, you're going to pay for this. You're, you're, you're going down. I'm going to get you. There's extreme retribution as a result. But what happens is this, is that what takes place is that when somebody does something against us, now we feel like I have to make them pay. I have to cause them to pay for their sins that they committed against me. And so in any relationship, what ends up happening is this, is that when there's been a wrong or an injustice having taken place, somebody has to pay for that. Somebody must pay for that injustice. So either you absorb it and you say, I'm not going to get, I'm not going to go after them. I'm just going to absorb it. Or you take out wrath against them and you go after them in that, in that way. Here's the whole thing about the gospel. We have offended God so badly and the reason why you and I have this idea that I've got to make someone pay is because in some way, that is the way that it works. We instinctively know that it is wrong and it is unjust for murderers to go free. It is wrong and unjust for people to go unpunished. It leads to an unjust society. We know this. Why? Because God knows this. It is wrong and it is unjust for you and I to go unpunished in the midst of our malice, in the midst of our hating one another and being hated by other people. It is wrong for you and I to go unpunished as a result. And so somebody's got to take the wrath. And either we're going to pay for our mistakes or we let Jesus pay for our mistakes. We let Jesus pay for those things. And that is what he did. When he went to the cross, he not only paid for our mistakes, but he showed you and I ultimately how we can agree in the Lord. 
Agreeing in the Lord comes down to this. I was forgiven so much, even though I had sinned so much. I was forgiven of so many things, past, present, and future, and yet, how can I not extend forgiveness to someone else? How can I not absorb the wrath? Ongoing marriage fights, marital fights, happen because somebody is unwilling to absorb the wrath. I'm not talking about abuse. Go to the police. Remember I said that. I'm talking about squabbles. Ongoing fights in our churches happen because somebody is unwilling to replicate the gospel and agree in the Lord and all that that stands for. And I'm asking you, church, if you have received the gospel, would you please replicate that? Would you please replicate that? Because disunity in the church displays a dysfunctional gospel. Gospel unity displays an incredible gospel. It displays the real, the true, the living gospel through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I want to just pray over our church this morning. And Lord, we know that there's all kinds of battles going on in our world. Some of those are good, good battles to fight. We should be advocating for the refugee, for the sojourner, for things like that. Because you clearly state that, um, especially in the Old Testament. So this is about your nature and character. We should be reflecting that. How we do that is uh, perhaps another thing. So Lord, I pray that we wouldn't squabble over those things but that we would agree in the Lord. And so, Lord, as we move forward and as we go on, Lord, I just want to pray over uh, perhaps the disagreements and the arguments. There's people in this room. In fact, every one of us on some level has an issue with someone else. Lord, would, you, would, would, would they hear from you? Would they hear from me that I'm pleading in the Lord? I'm pleading that they would agree in the Lord. Lord, I'm praying over those marriages that cannot seem to resolve anything. Lord, that they would get a third party involved. And Lord, that there would be humility, that they'd be able to take responsibility for the things that they've done and even the things that they don't think that they've done. Lord, I'm praying for gospel to just be riddled throughout our lives. Lord, may we reflect the true and the living God in the way that we live uh, today. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.